Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Crypto Coffee Hour. I'm your host, as always, Jeff, and here with my co-host, Will. Hey, guys. Glad to have you guys join us uh, for a new year. We've got some exciting stuff to hopefully uh, you know, can share with you today. Yeah, so, you know, um, crypto is always changing. Markets are always volatile, but there's always things to talk about, always things to learn about. You know, one of the, one of the things, um, Jeff, is just over the holidays, I had a chance to really have very interesting conversations with people around me. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, more than once, uh, people have been overhearing my conversations because I get very animated when I talk about crypto. And I've had random strangers come up to me um, and, you know, kind of interrupt the conversation, but in a respectful way and say, hey, you know, listen, I really want to learn more of what you're talking about. Um, and I see that as a really good sign. And, uh, uh, you know, despite the markets kind of doing what it's doing recently, uh, the downward action, um, I, I do think that people uh, may not fully uh, grasp everything in um, in the space right now, but I think there is this uh, kind of yearning to learn, and I'm very excited about that, Jeff. Um, and, and I think it's uh, it bodes well. Yeah, there's definitely way more interest in the space now. You know, I'm, a lot more people um, in my circle of friends are getting more curious about crypto, asking me questions about it. Um, you know, it seems at this point everyone kind of has a base, at least a base awareness of the existence of DeFi and these things, even though they don't really know what it means or, um, you know, what it really entails. But, you know, there's curiosity there and people are trying to understand this space, I think. Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, I feel like captures their attention every time is I talk about the 20% yield on stablecoin. And it just, their eyes just really light up. And, um, you know, I've put it, I've put, you know, quite a number of people um, into this additional people since maybe the last time I updated during one of our podcasts. I can't remember which one now um, where uh, oh, we talked about um, where it seemed like we were really uh, pushing hard for, um, you know, using the anchor protocol. But of course, I, I again, I want to use a disclaimer and say that there certainly are risks uh, to every protocol. Um, none of this is guaranteed by the government. None of this is guaranteed by any sort of a regulator. Um, and so I'm sure Anchor has its own risks related to the smart contracts. Um, and, uh, and the yield is not, not guaranteed. But nonetheless, um, since we've started this podcast, since I've staked my first deposit of my first UST, I've been earning this 19.5% yield. So, um, yeah, that's been kind of the first, uh, uh, you know, always the first point of interest from uh, kind of our listeners or from the people who, who talk to me. And so maybe Jeff, let's just dive in a little bit more on this um, since it seems like there is a bit of interest. Uh, the total value locked on this has gone up, I think, um, you know, like almost twofold since we, uh, since we last chatted, it's at like 10 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that just means that there's like 10 billion um, USTs have been printed. I guess there's just been more people because every time I, I guess people want to buy UST and the peg uh, in order to you know, maintain that peg, um, they need to print more UST to support that demand. Right. Right. Am I understanding that? Yeah. Correct. Okay. correct. And yeah. So what does that tell you when you see this kind of um, uh, expansion in the supply of UST? Well, it tells me a couple of things, right? One, it tells me that, UST is proving pretty resilient at this point, you know, like we said before, everything in DeFi is kind of an experiment, but it's proving that with this increased um, usage, right, the peg has remained stable. It's remained relatively um, one of the more stable stable coins, actually, in in light of the recent volatility, Um, you know, while markets are down, stable coins have a tendency to kind of lose their peg a little bit. Um, we saw USDT go down to like 97 cents or something a few days ago. Um, but UST has remained relatively stable. So it, it shows me that the system that Terraform Labs has designed um, is working as intended right now. Um, another thing it tells me is that people are um, really excited about these opportunities. People are hungry for yields. And, um, you know, the traditional financial world, we don't get this kind of yield that easily. And, you know, people are recognizing the opportunity that DeFi presents to them 
to you know not only kind of save their assets and also hedge against inflation, but to do it in a way that doesn't have the crazy volatility that other crypto assets present. So it's kind of an attractive thing. So it kind of shows me that not only is the use case increasing, but the system is at this point still working as intended and it's not kind of buckling under the pressure either. Mm -hmm. And again, part of the reason why Luna um, has been doing well, or at least it's um, generally been rising with the, uh, the amount of uh, UST that's printed. It's not a one-for-one -one relationship because Luna, after all, is a crypto asset and it will trade up and down with right. the vagaries subject the to the market, market forces sentiment. like anything else. Correct, correct. But certainly, um, you know, we could get to a point where if UST goes to 10, 20, 30 billion, you know, uh, supply or even more, uh, we would need to burn more and more Luna to support that. That's just how the algorithm works. And right. if that's the case, um, you know, Luna price, I mean, it's hard to speculate. Yeah, supply shock is just are. programmed in at that point. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, I found another interesting article because there's just so many people been asking me about this. I mean, literally, I'm telling you, Jeff, it's um, this 20% is very eye catching. Um, like sometimes I, <laughs> you know, I'm like in a conversation with someone, as soon as this comes up, they're like, uh, I, I need to, you know, send me that article, you know, send me that article right away. And so I've been digging around and there's a there's another article that I find that explains the Terra Luna um, or the, the Luna UST relationship. I find it's pretty good. So I'll, we'll put it in the link. I think we put another link in one of our earlier episodes. But I've, you know, as we go, this is a process, it's a journey for me as well. And so as I find more helpful kind of articles that illuminate the process, um, you know, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll put it in the link. And the other thing that has made it easier to do this trade is Binance's, um, you know, listed UST. Uh, yeah. On, so you can yeah. So you can directly buy a UST without going through. I think last time we talked about like one inch or some of the other exchanges. Yeah, you like bridge it across and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do do the Terra bridge. So haven't been doing that. So no, that's great. Um, and so uh, I also just um, have been using my Ledger wallet a little bit more. And so this time around, instead of sending my UST to MetaMask, I just sent it directly to Ledger. And then mm. use the, yeah, and then use the uh, Anchor protocol uh, to interact with my Ledger wallet. So now I basically have some funds on MetaMask and I have some funds on Ledger. And so, so I how guess did you I feel about that? I'm kind of curious, as you know, someone that's used a hot wallet for their yeah. crypto journey up until that point, now switching to the kind of analog Matt, uh, <laughs> Ledger mode. You know, I'll be honest. I, I want to be honest with you, Jeff. Like. Uh, I'm still a little, because I'm still kind of interacting with something that's connected to my computer, part of it, part of it is like, um, is it really safer, right? Because, I mean, I know it's physically separate from my computer, but it is connected through the USB, right? And I'm pressing buttons on it, which um, is the same as me clicking a mouse, the way I think about it. So even though I, I get it that it's not connected to the internet, and, and I've emphasized this previously, um, and I feel like that is the safety feature, I just think mentally, I still feel like it is part of my computer. Um, and so the risks of my computer, uh, I feel like is, yeah, so maybe you can put me at ease, Jeff. Like, um, how do you, to you, how is the Ledger wallet um, you know, more satisfying in terms of security for you? <clears throat> well, I think... Um... It helps to have this in huge community of people in the crypto space advocating for this, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. you should um, you shouldn't just put everything in the faith of like the words of others, but having basically everybody in the space already vouch for it, um, mm -hmm. that's a huge indicator that it's trustworthy, right? To have literally everybody say that, yeah, this is the kind of sta the gold standard of security right now. Um, you know that that has weight. Um, the the other thing is having those physical buttons, and from my understanding of the technology behind it, that like every verification to sign, you have to physically press it. Like you can't emulate that button press um, through software. <laughs> um, is how I understand it, right? And that gives me the uh, you know the peace of mind to feel that this is actually a safe way of doing things and actually. Um, securing my assets oh yeah and um i i agree and i i do think that um i do trust the community which is why i have made this transition um but at the same time 
um, I'm wondering if we have like a malicious website, right? Uh, and it says interact because uh, my understanding is if the website um, is, let's say the address is a little bit off, right? Or, and you accidentally click on it and then you connect your MetaMask wallet, it could potentially, you know, right, compromise your, your MetaMask wallet, but it could also compromise your Ledger wallet. If you click on a malicious website and it says, do you want to collect, connect to Ledger now? And you say, yes. Couldn't it also compromise your Ledger wallet in the same way that it compromises your MetaMask wallet? From what I understand, no, it can't. Um, oh, okay. From what I understand, okay. just connecting it is not enough for it to actually be doing the functions of the Ledger. Um, all that uh, still requires that physical physical button, button press. press. Yeah, I like they see. just can't the get around button? that physical mm-hmm. button press to confirm oh, the things. No, it's good to be reassured of this because um, I kind of felt like me clicking the button on my ledger versus me clicking my mouse uh, on my kind of screen is the same thing. But I guess you're telling me it's different. Right, um, it is different. And, I think they they yeah. like have engineered it on uh, like for for that reason on purpose that way, right? To make sure that that physical button press is kind of the the very mm-hmm. last barrier to any action. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. No, it's great. It's great. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm, you know, starting to do this. Um, and I think it's necessary. It's part of my journey. Uh, another thing I've done is instead of relying on Binance, which has been kind of the centralized exchange I've used a lot, I've also opened up uh, an account with FTX. Um, and so that kind of enables me to also uh, play around with two different exchanges. Um, right. So I'm keeping money at two different exchanges. Um, and also, uh, there's coins that I can buy in FTX that I cannot buy on right, Binance, right. and then vice versa. And there's staking that I can do on FTX that I cannot do on Binance. And then there's like launch pads that are different. You know? Yeah, so it's like it's, it's almost like its own ecosystem in the way of like the way we talk about layer ones, right? It's almost like the centralized exchange has their own opportunities and offerings that other centralized exchanges um, might have some overlap, but also like some things are exclusive to that one. Yeah, yeah. So it's listeners again. I mean, I'm wondering, you know, if you're wondering why, like, uh, there's just where we have we don't run out of topics to talk about on this uh, uh, on this podcast. It's just, I mean, as I dig into it more, there's just so much more to play with. And I'm, you know, whether it's different types of wallets, different types of exchanges, different types of decentralized exchanges. So, um, but let's get back to uh, Terra a little bit more. So I just want to, uh, and maybe this is repeating some information from previous episodes, but that's fine because um, I'm sure our listeners, um, it doesn't hurt to, to kind of get information twice, or maybe you caught parts of the previous episode and now you're catching parts of this. Um, the 20% yield, right? That is not guaranteed, but that is uh, attempted. And right. it is attempted. That's their guiding. Comment- that's like their North Star, yeah. essentially. That's interesting. And it is attempted through um, the borrowing cost, or, or I guess it's funded by um, the borrowing cost that borrowers are paying um, in order to, right, in order to get the stable coin. Right. So you depositing the stable coin, right, you're earning, um, hopefully, you're, you're earning the fees um, that the borrower the borrow is paying. side is, yeah. Is paying. But however, the borrower, because if I, Go back to and studying this a little bit more heavily, it's much more skewed towards depositing versus borrowing in terms of the value, uh, um, the amount of funds people have deposited right. versus the amount of yeah. So there's especially at this point in time where you have strategies like the MIM UST Degen Box strategy earning people like a hundred percent. You know, so it is heavily leaning right now. It is heavily leaning towards the deposit side, but you know. They have other sources of revenue to fund the interest rate on Anchor. Um, not only are they getting it from the interest rate of the uh, borrowers, you know, the assets that they accept as collateral is B Luna and BF, which in um, that ecosystem stands for bonded Luna and bonded Ethereum. Um, what bonded means is basically they it's a liquid staking asset. So essentially the Luna and Ether are both already staked. Um, and earning fees for the holder of BETH and BLUNA. So by giving them your BETH and BLUNA, they're also taking those fees. So that's a revenue stream in and of itself. 
um, that they're getting that's just consistent with uh, whatever collateral they have deposited in their uh, protocol. Uh, another source of money is they have a treasury um, that it's not it's not a perfect system, but right now they do have a treasury of a ton of money that has been kind of seeded by Terraform Labs, um, and that's to act as kind of reserve treasury if you know the revenue stops being um, you know stops being enough to compensate for the depositing um, interest rates. Right, the treasury will be tapped into to pay out those people as well. I just pulled up the website, and um, the total deposit on uh, Anchor right now is $5.2 billion, um, and the total borrowing level is $1.67. So uh, the borrowing amount has come down, while the total deposit has been going up. And so if you look at the chart, uh, and again, this is accessible to anybody who just types in this, this Anchor protocol web address, um, that gap has been opening up quite a bit since around the end of November, beginning of December where deposits have just been kind of, you know, almost yeah, overtaking uh, yeah. it. Yeah, it, it's just, it's gone up on a much higher trajectory. Um, whereas the total borrowing, I wouldn't say has flatlined, but it's gone up at a much slower pace. In fact, it's down recently. So it does seem like it's somewhat unsustainable. Um, and so if you were to, and this listeners just shows you that we are, you know, just as critical of the things, projects that we hype, <laughs> And, um, you know, if I go into and look at the uh, the yield reserve, that's also come down, which makes sense because I guess they are using the yield now to subsidize um, yeah. the 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 19.5%. So the yield reserve right now is at like $63 uh, billion, And I think that's come down from high of 70, 75 billion. So um, that is an amount which, as you said, as Jeff said, the team has seeded the protocol with. Um, but they're, I guess, being, you know, forced to draw from it because the fees perhaps has not covered um, the the, the nineteen and a half. So, um, what do you what do you take from that, Jeff? Like these um, numbers are, you know, I mean, we'd like to see the yield reserve go up. In fact, it had been going up for the longest time, um, but over the past kind of month, month and a half, it's been coming down. Yeah, so I think at this trajectory, it is going to be unsustainable if they can't find, um, or at least they can't sustain that targeted 20%, right? If they can't find other sources of revenue. But um, one of the things that will happen in the future is, you know, they're going to accept more forms of collateral. Right now, there's only two forms of collateral generating revenue for them. Um, but as they can, as they start expanding the types of collateral bearing, I mean, uh, interest bearing assets that they accept, you know, that expand not only the user base of people willing to take out loans from Terra, but it also expands the amount of revenue they're earning. Um, and in the future, they can also, this will also be decided by governance, right? Which is kind of the interesting thing too. Like in the future, they could also start taking some of the, um, you know, money they have in their yields and using that in other strategies to generate revenue. So it won't all be tied to just the borrower um, mm. interest mm. rates that are paying out these fees. Um, and additionally, as the like network kind of stabilizes and the ecosystem kind of finds its footing, they may decide that 20% was kind of a too optimistic goal and, you know, modify their, um, you know, their future goals in the future, right? For how much they want to pay out. It could be lower than, you know, it could be like 15%, 10%, which would still be a great interest rate compared to your bank, which is kind of what Anchor is trying to just be. It's trying to be a savings account in DeFi. Um, obviously, if I want them to maintain that 20% um, yield rate, but it'll ultimately be kind of up to just what happens in the space to decide that for us to see if that was uh, maintainable. Yeah, so the way I look at this is um, there's definitely a risk. Again, I'm putting my macroeconomic hat on, and we've talked a lot about the Fed in these podcasts. Um, you know, just because the Federal Reserve does drive very much, you know, global asset prices. And I would say uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, the whole crypto universe falls into that category as well. Um, and so part of the volatility we've seen in crypto recently is because of what the Fed is choosing to do. Uh, but nonetheless, um, the, the interest rate that the Fed controls, risk-free rate in what I would say is like the physical world, there is some interest rate that's prevailing um, in kind of this digital ecosystem. Actually, I think we're still trying to figure out what that number is. 
Um, probably 20% is a little too high, but it's definitely, I think, higher than, you know, the, the prevailing rate um, in the real world or in the physical world. And so um, at some point, um, and, and I think that totally by what Jeff is saying, the rate will come down to a level that is probably equilibrium. Um, and it will, it will stabilize. And right now it's still at the stages of there's some subsidies um, and there's creative ways of trying to earn uh, income in order to sustain this. And so I would say as there's more and more adoption into this ecosystem, um, there's more fees generated, which will go into, I guess, the ANC token. And the ANC token is what is being used to subsidize, right, the borrowers. So, yeah, I, I'm really interested in seeing just as kind of a social or economic experiment, what level this all settles at. Because clearly subsidizing is like, you know, it's not good from the standpoint of it's like you're just kind of giving away money for free. However, if in the long run it promotes a healthy ecosystem, I actually think that's great. Right? Yeah, that, I agree. That, it's hard to figure out, but what is the value of that promotion of this healthy ecosystem where we have a stable coin, algorithmically determined stable coin? What are the advantages of that? It's, it, nobody knows. And that's why this is interesting. Yeah. And it's, and look, like, like you say, part of this healthy ecosystem, um, you know, people are making all this money. It's like they have to have a place to use this money. You know, you can't just have a savings account without a place to spend that money. <laughs> um, True. And as UST adoption, increases which it kind of has just been going crazy even though a lot of it is because of this um yield bearing strategies just as people are getting more um exposed to ust as it becomes more of a trading pair on different networks um and as more projects come out in the future that are you know tied to the real world i've talked about alice pro uh before and you know, there's going to be other things where you're going to have opportunities to spend your UST on real world items. And as those possibilities come um, come to fruition, you know, we'll see different dynamics with how the depositing and everything works. You know, will people be like withdrawing more often from that depositing pool and kind of finding a better ratio? We don't know. It all depends on like how these things play out and these strategies mm -hmm. the team are going to implement. Um, and that's what makes this space so interesting because you get a chance to participate actively in these kind of decisions right now. Um, you can like join their um, their communities. You can like buy a bunch of their governance tokens and kind of influence how these things go. If you have an idea to uh, that you would think would kind of help this whole experiment out, you know, like that's mm. what makes the space really exciting. Yeah, you know, just uh, what caught my eye earlier as I was reading something. It's like you can stake UST on Harmony now. Um, and there's one, this kind of DF, as you call it, just a protocol, let's just call it, um, called 100 Finance. And it's, uh, you can, I mean, it claims like as of now, as of the time where the writer wrote that article, you get something like 77% on uh, staking UST. So um, yeah, I, I guess you can go a lot of places with this. Um, you know, I'd have to read into a bit more, you know, what are the risks of that? And I guess maybe the, the biggest risk is that 77% isn't, isn't sustained. Um, but, uh, but Jeff, my question is, so we're all just earning yield. Like we're trying to earn yield. We're trying to get these airdrops. We're trying to get the staking yields, you know, whatever is high, whatever is, you know, uh, lucrative. Um, but ultimately what does all this go towards, right? I guess what does all this go towards? Is it the spending on NFTs in the metaverse? That's kind of how I think of maybe as the immediate next level, right? I earn this so that I can, um, you know, kind of, you know, have my identity. I can build up my identity in the metaverse. And then I build that up and then I can go and work or play and earn more, right? And it becomes like this, you know, uh, I'm exchanging my uh, creativity or my time spent in the game, um, my weapons, whatever it is. And then I can uh, utilize that towards kind of creating this almost uh, different, yeah, different life. Um, and, and is that, is, is that what, um, what all this is building towards? Um, so I like to think of it in like, what kind of divide it into like, what is it 
what can we do with the crypto now? What can we do with this money and yield and everything that we're making? What can we do with it right now? Right. And that part of it is kind of like what you're saying. You can buy NFTs, you can buy metaverse games and stuff, um, build your you know online persona. These are kind of the things available to us now. And like, they're very cool and exciting, right? You can um, get an NFT game, play it, and then earn some money um, from playing that game and use that money to buy uh, other games or whatever. But I think the more exciting thing is like, what can this stuff mean in the future, right? What can this, the potential of this technology bring us? Um, because as we're earning this yield, like I said before, it has to kind of do something. We have to kind of do something with the money. We can't just be having it sitting there in a healthy economy. Um, but this is still the early stages where there isn't much that we can buy yet. But as more and more products roll out that accept crypto in the physical world or even like DeFi project that somehow creatively abstract away that barrier between the physical and the digital and find ways where we can spend crypto natively to buy things that we want, like in our lives. Um, those things yeah. will come about. And as those things come about, that um, question just becomes, you know, it's just kind of like any other economy. You just earn money to buy things that improve your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put my economist hat on and I, think that that is that's the part that excites me the most and it's just a little bit unclear and this is why you almost have to be creative about it but at the same time you have to understand and be humble about the fact that your predictions i mean don't mean much at this point because it we, we don't know how the system will evolve but i do think that it's going to be some sort of a um you know some sort of a resemblance to the real life but it will also involve a lot of um kind of you know playing a game or devoting your time uh, creating NFT, so you're earning, right? But at the same time, you're kind of, you know, uh, utilizing your creativity, and it's also fun. Um, and that's, I guess, what this whole GameFi experience is too, right? I mean, nowadays, right. Uh, nowadays, it's almost not enough to just do DeFi. You almost have to GameFi to do it. Right. And uh, listeners, yeah, and listeners, if you remember just a few episodes, or maybe this was like we've done so many, Jeff. Maybe this is like five or ten episodes again. I mean, we mentioned DeFi Kingdoms. And that is like a, one of the fastest growing kind of protocols, um, you know, according to uh, like DeFi Llama is, well, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's like, it's, it's almost up to like a billion in terms of total value locked. And at the time we talked, I mean, I, I don't think at least, you know, I certainly didn't hear many people around me talking about it, but when you look into that a bit more at its core, it's still a DeFi protocol, but I guess there's, you know, <laughs> just make it into a, a gaming experience. And I guess that's what it takes now, Jeff. Like that's you know, kind of what it takes <laughs> because one, like I've talked about before, there's such a dearth in quality games in crypto, like native space, right? A lot of the games look and kind of play like garbage or, you know, they're, they look great and they kind of aren't that fun to play. Um, but, you know, DeFi kingdoms kind of taps into something where it's like, okay, look, we're, we're doing like legitimate DeFi. There's a Dex, there's a, um, farm a literal farm that looks like a vegetable patch where you can farm your tokens <laughs> and stuff um there's like an item shop where you can buy other tokens um and you know to get nfts you summon heroes and everything so they make it in a way where um they're very upfront like this is a DeFi protocol but you know we're giving you an experience that is reminiscent to a lot of the crowd that's popular in crypto which is like people around around like 20s to 30s that grew up playing these kind of cutesy video games with sprite based graphics um so they just kind of like put a nice code of that over it um and it's like very appealing you know that kind of experience people like that um, part of why those video games succeeded back in the day like these games i grew up playing like runescape maple story diablo 2 that had thriving in-game economies um a lot of that you could argue was those games were just basically the same thing right they just put kind of a a fake economy um and put like kind mm. of a system around it but it was appealing to people um and these newer DeFi web 3 protocols are trying to capture that same feeling right but the difference is the economic uh, the economy and assets and stuff are real assets you know that have real world value mm -hmm. um another uh protocol that we talked about up maybe the wrong term but like project we talked about and again we're not hawking any projects 
Um, but certainly we're involved in some of this just in order for us to get a feel for it. Uh, talking about something that you don't have any stake or skin in the game, it's just, it's different than if you do. So, um, so Rome Dow, for example. So we, again, we, we refrain from oh, talking about- I'm so glad you brought up Rome Dow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, again, without going into the economics of the Olympus Dow, um, kind of uh, the Olympus Dow tokenomics, um, but I want to bring up Rome Dow because it is the, it is, Olympus Dow fork, which just means it's a copy of Olympus Dow. The tokenomics works similarly, um, but at the same time, it's also a gamified version of it. And so I just put some money into it um, just to play around with it. Um, and I, I don't know what I was doing the other day. I staked some Rome, and now I'm like part of some console. And I think I picked, oh, in the like, house of consoles, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I couldn't even, but to be honest, I think it was just like the last day. One of my friends told me it's the last day before I can enlist um, or conscript. I think that's the term. Like yeah. I could become a soldier. And uh, yeah, and you so, get to like, pick your I, class and your name and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I even forgot what name I used. But, you know, that's because it was just done in such a hurry. I'm like, oh, I got to get in on this. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it's kind of cool because um well you know it's not a huge community that's playing this still i mean i, I don't think that many it's not a no, household name it's yet in the thousands you know yeah it's a, and uh, in the Tens meantime i mean still but in the meantime this interest level and again knock on wood and you know we don't know how this will evolve but it's actually kept the price somewhat steady and so on top of the tokenomics um where you know you're earning kind of you know, it's earning kind of like a hundred thousand percent APY RPG. <laughs> APY RPG. And again, it's like a hundred thousand percent APY. Um, and so, you know, you earn some additional tokens by just kind of sitting, uh, you know, and waiting for this game to develop. And so, you know, it's, it's actually been one of my actually a few Olympus Dow forks that's actually made money. Um, the other ones have, uh, you know, have, haven't done as well. And um, I look at this and I'm just like, Hmm. Maybe they've come up with something. It, it's, a, it's an experiment. It's almost like if you go on their, uh, their, their document list and you, and now you read like the very first paper, like the white list, or sorry, the white paper, maybe even before the white paper, they don't take themselves seriously at all. They're just like, dude, you know, invest at your own risk, right? Yeah, um, like we're a bunch like of a, randoms that met online. Yeah. We're going to like yeah. tend to be Romans. So if you want to throw money at us, <laughs> do it. Like, <laughs> And, and I love that because it's just it, unlike, like, you know, if, um, you imagine, right, you know, like a typical corporate um, that's trying to list on the NASDAQ, for example, you know, they have to use really important sounding words, right, in their prospectus. And, you know, they have to have these very serious people with, you know, Ivy League degrees and double PhDs, right? But, and, and they have these investment banks that are like, you know, bulge bracket. But then, you know, these guys, they're just like, dude, um, this is a social experiment. And, you know, we just think that it, it can be fun if it works out. And so I do think that despite the market not doing as well, you know, recently with, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all the tokens kind of uh, down a bit. I just think that stuff like this, you know, helps you kind of put things in perspective, which this really is an experiment. And some of these communities are going to work. And some of these communities are not. Right. But I think the fact that we are coming up and creating more and more vibrant communities because the ease of code and just kind of listing everything and then people deciding to participate. Um, I, I think we will come up with something um, and it, it will be a very dynamic kind of system. And um, I'm just hoping that during this process, we learn something, we make some money, um, but also we have some fun. I think that's what makes me really excited about Rome. Um, I know you said we weren't going to get into tokenomics and everything about the own, but I think we should like explain at least a general overview sure. of what it is, right? Um, so, you know, last year, a popular protocol called Olympus Dow blew up. Um, it created a ton of kind of copycats and forks of the project that were basically trying to do the same thing or offer different incentives, but it just created this extremely successful model. Um, the basic model is that they sold what were called bonds, which essentially was their token, Ohm, given to you at a discount that was kind of calculated algorithmically. But the discount usually was around 10%. Um, and when you bought this Ohm, it would vest linearly over a week. So you didn't have access to it all at once and just so you can't just like sell it and get, get that free 10%. Um, 
So you would have to vest it. The, the downside is that you can't just start staking it right away. And you wanted to stake it because it would give you an extremely high APY um, like return rate. For Ohm, that started, I think, around like 20,000 or 40,000 or something high like that and has gone down steadily because um, the community has voted for it to go down. I'll get to why they did that in a little bit. But um, basically, this model meant that um, the protocol would amass a treasury through these bond sales. By selling these bonds, they would collect other assets, some stable coin, you know, some other assets that they deemed valuable to them. Um, but the most important thing was they would bond their own liquidity coins, right? So you could take the Ohm and, um, you know, Ethereum LP tokens and give it to them and get some more Ohm. Um, the advantage for that protocol meant that now they controlled their liquidity and they didn't weren't um, they weren't subject to kind of whales putting in a bunch of money and then taking it all out once they farmed out all their liquidity rewards. So they kind of solved that problem where the protocol now owns their liquidity, um, and it's much less um, they're much less at risk of just kind of being subject to the whims of a whale and killing their project. Basically, after they did this, own blew up, and there was a ton of forks that were inspired by this model. They tried to bond different coins. You know, maybe they were released on a different um, on a different chain. Wonderland time, you know, kind of is the, the the one that really blew up as well on Avalanche and kind of got people interested in Avalanche. So there were a ton of these different ones. Um, after that long drawn out explanation, brings us to Rome. Rome is this fork of Ohm on a Moon River, and it's kind of doing this whole same thing where it's bonding assets and trying to amass a treasury while giving you a very high APY, I think around like 100,000% right now. Um, but the difference is Rome is building this kind of like RPG experience around this whole thing too, where they're making the Ohm bonding and staking experience into a, like kind of a game where you're like pretending to be part of the Roman army going on campaign and conquering other parts of Italy. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, and it's kind no, of just, cool because it's like you said they were just like making this social experiment, being like, "This sounds like a cool thing we can try to build," and now they decided to build it. Um, and they have you know a whole like war map like drawn out and coded. <laughs> yeah, I know they have like quests you can do, and the quests are basically you know bond more Rome. You know, like you know if you bond like another thousand dollars, you get. Uh, reward in the form of an NFT. Um, and the NFT might give you additional stats to your soldier that kind of at this point is to be determined what those stats will even really do. But that's what makes this whole thing really interesting and exciting. It's all just kind of a big experiment. I feel like this whole, some, a lot of this whole space can be to be determined. That the value <laughs> exactly. of a lot of this stuff is to be And what's interesting is some people, like when they hear that, they're, they're scared, right? They think, oh, that's like so uncertain. I don't want to get in. But I think that's looking at it the wrong way because to me, when I think of uncertainty um, and all this like these to be determined up in the air projects, it makes me excited because it makes me think like, mm -hmm. okay, this is a chance to see what can work in this in this space where this technology is so new and novel. We get a chance mm -hmm. to witness firsthand what is going to work and succeed and what is going to fail. And not only can we witness it, we get a chance to participate, um, yeah, invest. And kind of even shape the direction that we think it should go, which makes it really exciting to me. Yeah, I mean, we can also lose money um, as we <laughs> participate in some of these failed experiments. Um, <laughs> no, but it's it's fine. Like again, I, I think listeners like be prudent, right? Never invest more than you're willing to lose. And um, in the meantime, uh, as Jeff said, this is kind of a opportunity, certainly in my lifetime, that I haven't encountered before, where I can get in on something so early stage, but if these ideas work out, um, it has you know tremendous ramifications. So since Jeff has kind of pricked the um, you know Olympus Dow kind of bubble, uh, I'll also kind of talk a little bit about it from where you know how I see it. Uh, certainly, what got me interested initially, as again a macro guy, um, you know, there was a, a statement um, I think from the Olympus Dow team on one of their white papers that said along the lines of they're trying to be like the reserve currency, right? Uh, for Ethereum, because um, that's where the, the blockchain that was initially launched on. 
And then for Avalanche, it was like, oh, or for time, it was like trying to be the reserve currency for time. Um, and then it's like, and then it became like all these uh, chains had their own. Yeah, everyone was trying to be a reserve currency for something. There's like <laughs> so, reserve currency so, for dog coins, reserve currency for like, you know, anything. <laughs> but over time, I realized that maybe their goals are changing as well. So like we're talking about time, um, you know, basically they just have this treasury, right? And this treasury is, you know, has a lot of different um, tokens in it. Um, and so that's kind of in a way, maybe why it's like the reserve currency, because it's not just backed by one currency, it's kind of backed by a basket. Um, but at the same time, since they have this treasury, um, I guess recently time just decided to buy some betting um, like protocol, right? It's like bet swap or something like yeah. that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like and a sports like, betting protocol. Sports betting. I'm like, all right. I mean, it's just they've decided they're just like this big VC fund, right? They're going out and they're buying stuff that they find interesting. So, all right, I'm along for the ride now, right? I yeah. Mean, it's like, yeah. You know, I'm. So it's like that's why the space is exciting, right? Because that that yeah. decision to buy that sports betting didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of just people, you know, talking on Twitter, talking on the Discord. Somebody somewhere probably was like, hey. There's this sports betting thing that I think is a cool investment opportunity. And then the community was like, hey, I think that's a good idea too. And eventually that's just what happened, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, so that's what I'm saying that they're, so I don't know, are they still trying to be a reserve currency? Are they just trying to be this big endowment or, you know? So I can speak at least for time. I know time has never um, actually claimed that they wanted to be the reserve currency of Avalanche. They were launched Mm -hmm. just kind of, um, you know, they were they had a secret launch where Daniele, before he blew up, before people knew who he was, had just coded this fork on Avalanche, um, you know, made a front-end UI for it, and then just had it live. And it was a stealth launch. Yeah. Anyone could buy in. Um, they didn't really have a goal for it, is how I, like, okay. understood it. It was more just like, okay. oh, let's see how, if this works. Because at the time, Olympus DAO hadn't really blown up either. There weren't really forks of Olympus that were super successful. It wasn't mm. like how we see it today where everybody wants to copy that model. Um, there was still a lot of doubt about Olympus. If it, like everyone just called it a Ponzi scheme, everyone called it, um, you know, just a scam. Um, and there was a lot of FUD about it in the beginning. So yeah. people weren't eager to copy the model or anything, but Daniela just kind of did it with time and it also blew up. Um, and it kind of became this thing where, Hey, we just made this thing as almost like a side project because he had Abracadabra and Popsicle finance at the time too. Um, mm. That just kind of turned into like a billion dollar fund, you know, <laughs> almost by accident. Yeah, and, um, and he raised that actually. He raised that in a much shorter amount of time than Olympus Dow. Yeah. So basically, then the, yeah, then the thing, then the protocol that kind of pioneered all this, he ended up overtaking it in terms of speed, uh, and I, I guess in terms of size of the treasury now. So yeah, I mean, again, I mean, I think Jeff explained actually very well um, the mechanics behind it. It's actually pretty formidable. Um, maybe we can post some papers in the uh, in the link for our you know uh, for our very ambitious readers or listeners. Um, but basically, uh, the way I see it now is all right. It's a they've amassed this treasury. It's a way to amass a treasury uh, in the quickest way possible. Uh, but now what do you do with the treasury? How do you generate value, right? Right. How do you create um, and, a use for this money? How do you create a use for your token? Yeah. So initially it was like all these liquidity um, uh, pairs, right? Um, these these uh, LP tokens, right? The, well, they generate, I mean, there's fees that are generated from them. So right. yes, I guess there's some appreciation that comes from that. But maybe that's not enough, right, to sustain right, right. The, uh, the protocol. So you got to come up with other, especially ways. with those crazy APYs that they're giving people. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, and the APYs you can think of it as there's perhaps it's gimmicky. I mean, I, I think it is quite gimmicky actually, um, but it tries to preserve the value of um, yeah your share, right? So you know it's giving you more shares, um, but at the same time it's kind of as if the treasury doesn't expand, giving you more shares of something doesn't really mean much. So right. you're diluting its own value it. at the same time. Exactly. So that's why you kind of have to really be realistic about this and says, how do you expand um, the treasury? And that is where I think every, uh, that's where the, I guess the core team comes in and what they decide to do. And also the community, um, you know, what ideas they give for doing this uh, crazy stuff. I mean, I'll be honest with you, crazy stuff. Um, you know, uh, you know, maybe switching gears a little bit. Um, 
another interesting um, thing that, uh, you know, sort of I, I was just thinking it was on my mind. Um, and I had a friend who's a bit more technically minded. I mean, I literally asked him, I said, okay, so all this stuff is open source, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, everything's open source. Um, so I said, so that means like, if I wanted to pull up, go back to like anchor protocol, I can pull up the source code on like GitHub. And he's like, yeah, you can do something like that. And uh, you can read the code. You can actually see how it's interacting with your smart contract. It's all there for you to see. And um, it, and I actually find that quite refreshing. Like the fact that, um, you know, all of these protocols, um, they all have, and I'm sure maybe there are exceptions to the rule. And maybe that's what distinguishes between protocols that are perhaps better known, more trusted, and those that are less. But basically, all the source code, all the um, kind of the, the ways in which um, it you know, uh, the smart contract is written and executed such that if there was a mistake, um, you know, it is all there for people to see. And I go back to that power of open source in this case. Right. So, yeah, yeah. That, I, like, I, bug I, bounties yeah. are extremely, like, common in the space. Um, and it's even, like I said, like, it's a common tactic even among hacks, right, to just be like, hey, you know, you hacked us, here's a there's a bounty, keep 10% of what you hacked. And like, thank you for revealing the vulnerability in our like source code. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't always work, but that's like one of the tactics used because truly it is a space where everything is open source like that, where people can review for, for uh, exploits and, um, you know, errors in the code if you have the acumen to do so. Yeah. And literally, um, it's kind of interesting on GitHub, there's a button that says fork. Where if you click on it, you can basically copy all the code, right? Yeah, and just and make just, your own fork. You can make your own. You, know, you can make your own Uniswap, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah essentially. I mean, why not? Yeah, and he helped me understand that ultimately, um, you know, even like the website is just like an interface, right? I mean, that's right. you know, it's like you don't yeah, actually so, need it to use the contracts. Exactly. Like that's the crazy thing. Like um, you need if you're not as technical minded, you need some sort of interface. But for someone like me, MetaMask, I mean, uh, sorry, Etherscan and all the various kind of Etherscan forks, uh, quote unquote, like uh, Snowtrace and whatever on the different EVM chains, like you can look at the contract on Etherscan and then just write into it directly without the front end UI of the site. So, for instance, mm -hmm. if you know the UI for um, Ohm, right, if you know the contract um, address for Ohm, you can just go into Etherscan, look up the contract address, inject your MetaMask wallet onto Etherscan directly, and then just start manually inputting, um, you know, the data fields for the uh, <laughs> the transaction you want to do. You know, yeah. so it's like but, uh, but a website can't can even like just turn itself but, off to make you unable to like use their contracts. You know. But what about Etherscan though? Um, that is, what if the the Etherscan website is down? Right. So I'm sure there's other ways you can read a contract mm. and inject into it. Etherscan is not the only uh, way to do it. Um, it's just the most convenient for, for me because that's yeah. the one I, I use. Sure, sure. But no, but the intuition that Jeff raised is spot on, which is the code is there, right? I mean, everything else is just kind of ease of interacting with the code right, for people right. who yeah, are, are less, uh, less savvy, technically minded. But at the end of the day, the code is what you know, executes, right, the commands. And so, you know, if you're asking it to sell this, exchange that, stake this, um, yeah, it's all there for you to see. And so, yeah, for, for me, I, I was actually quite, quite refreshing to see that, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, I think the community has its best efforts on trying to make these things work. And even on some of these Olympic Olympus Dow forks that are like failing really badly. I mean, I, I'm looking at the price of some of these. Um, yeah, some are just like, plummeted, it, it, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, I'm, I'm just so, you know, I feel bad for the community. Uh, I'm involved with some of them, I have to say, as well. So I feel bad for myself. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's the best efforts of the team, right? I mean, it's all there for you to see. And it's, like, it's like anything else. Like, like, experiments fail, right? These are the ones that didn't succeed in what they tried to do. Or maybe yeah. they'll turn it around. But at this point, maybe it's, they're not succeeding, right? Um, yeah. And, and I guess to circle back to Rome's because Rome has been getting me really excited. Like if you read their latest Substack articles, they have all these 
um, you know, proposals about what they're going to do with the token to have it retain its value, essentially, to make sure mm-hmm. that it doesn't suffer the fate of these other own forks. Um, one of the interesting things I've things seen was that they want Rome to kind of be the reserve currency of the entire Polkadot and Kusama metaverse ecosystem. <laughs> you know, they want... <laughs> They want they want um, Rome to kind of be this currency that other people can build on top of the same way that we're now seeing a lot of things built on top of Ohm and incorporating Ohm natively into their protocols. Rome is trying to do that in the way where like not only is their game going to be the one that's utilizing Rome as kind of the in-game currency, they want to incentivize other builders to create stuff to utilize Rome as well. Um, you know, they have all these other mechanisms in play where Rome will be bought back when you're using it in game, you know, I'm assuming to buy items or whatever in this game they're planning. Um, it'll that Rome that you spend to buy things will just be burned. Right. So they'll have a burn mechanism to kind of counteract dilution of the interest rate. So, you know, it's all an experiment, but it just is exciting to be a part of, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that, you know, uh, building user engagement, trying to, uh, may stabilize the value of the token or, or actually create appreciation pressure on the token. I mean, that is part of, um, you know, what I, I think you know, is part of what makes these projects work and part of what's required almost by the right. designers of these projects. And, um, and the failures and, go both ways, right? Like, you know, yeah. the whole open source nature of everything means that like the subsequent generations of projects can also learn from what protocols did wrong. Um, why yeah. these protocols failed, what they didn't do well, you know, maybe they had some good ideas that didn't execute, but you know, it's that's all free for them to peruse and try to understand as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I look at um, something like uh, Rome Dow, and um, you know, there are there are some similar. I I, I must say that um, there are com- competing. Kind of games out there, right? Um, where they're trying to create this whole experience where um, you know you are playing a game, you're dep- you're earning yield, um, you are kind of buying NFTs. Um, you are. It's almost like you are. It's almost like it's already creating a metaverse, or it's already creating a metaverse where you want to spend a lot of your time, right? right? And it's yeah, and it's like maybe we're a little too early, but. Hey, I mean, it, it, it seems like we're going to go that way, but it is a little hard to say what is going to last, right? I mean, oh, what are the sure. ones? I totally that... agree. Um, yeah. But that's why the space is um, exciting to be part mm-hmm. of. You know, you don't know what's going to last, so you got to kind of be attentive and paying attention and seeing the new going ons um, and adapting mm-hmm. yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. Speaking of another game, Axie Infinity, I know it, it's kind of like a standard game now. I mean, it's like one of the first, um, it's almost, uh, it's kind of already had its great run and maybe have another great run. Um, but, you know, you can stake that for like 114% yield right now. But you can't, I used to do that on Binance and I guess Binance stopped offering it. And so now I have to go to the Ronin wallet um, to, or, or I need to transfer it to my Ronin wallet, which is like this additional wallet that I have to set i go into axi staking and um hey listeners so at this point will cuts off from the recording a little bit but he basically he talks about um you know staking his axi and earning this high apy and then wondering how the apy affects the token price in the future um does it have any you know sell pressure because all these people are earning these bonus tokens and just kind of the differences between staking his Axie on Binance versus staking them natively. Anyway, onwards back to the show. Right, I agree. I think it, if they don't have mechanisms, you know, to put that counteracting pressure, it probably will be unsustainable. Um, but the power of the space is that those changes can be made very quickly, right? Like it doesn't take a lot for them to say like, hey, we're going to have a proposal um, to, you know, add a burn mechanism where we're going to be using our treasury or whatever to, or like fees generated to burn a certain percentage of tokens so that the to, uh, deflationary pressure may counteract that inflation pressure. So there's always like mechanisms, things and things that they can do. Um, so you can't just say for sure that it's not going to be sustainable. Um, but that's why it's important to be, um, 
you know, active in this space. It's important to keep your ear on the ground and see what's kind of coming in the horizon. Um, because like you said, like if you hadn't been paying attention to this thing, um, you maybe you wouldn't have noticed that suddenly Binance stopped offering yield on your Axie <laughs> and you would have just like left it there. Right. I, I like know people that have done that with um, whatever pools where they thought, Hey, I can make X, Y, Z percentage in a year. I'm just going to leave it here and not look at it. And then they'll come back months later without realizing that that pool has been stopped paying out like months and months ago. You know? No, no, I'm laughing now, but because yeah, it's true. Like it's amazing how we all make the same mistakes. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like you have to be on top of these things. Um, and, uh, but you know, Jeff, like, ah, uh, this whole DeFi, like I talked about DeFi Llama, I promised earlier, um, in the podcast, we talk about it. It's like, I look at the amount, if you look at the data on it, um, the amount of money in DeFi like a year and a half ago, like they call it DeFi summer 2020, it was like 3 billion or something, right? Yeah. And now it's up to 250 billion. Yeah. According it's to ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, the growth like, is honestly insane. And I mean, I, it's great to see it, but at the same time, it's like all this attention paid to this space, which is really about generating more income, more of itself, right? Right. I mean, whatever staking, whatever yield farming, it's all about generating more of itself. And we're still trying to find a use case for it. Right. Is that <laughs> fair to say? I mean, kind of on a very, I don't know. No, I think that's totally fair to say. And I think, yeah, I think yeah. part of it is like, yeah, it's speculative because people are trying to figure out what the value of this new asset is. But I think not only are more and more people getting involved, but more and more people are really waking up to see just the true potential of what crypto means, right? What like blockchain technology can enable and do. And at this mm -hmm. point, there is only one use case. There is only, not really, there's the NFTs. There's essentially only NFTs, DeFi, and GameFi yeah. right now available for people <laughs> to like do stuff with their crypto in. Um, and yeah. for a lot of people, like DeFi is the most, to them, the most attractive option because it's the most robust ecosystem of the three, you know? It's the kind of the oldest of the three at this point, even though it's only like a year and a half old, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, that's why you're going to see a ton of the money go in there. And I think as the entire crypto space matures, um, as more and more products become available for people to use their crypto on, we'll see the spread in a more kind of, maybe not a balanced way, but at least like DeFi won't be such a, crazy like domineering percentage of the amount of money locked in the space yeah i mean when you say that um you know DeFi is the most attractive um i i agree with that but i can't help but think back to um guy i listened to and this was referred to me by some friends around me it's that by the name of uh, alex becker and uh you know he had a uh a youtube uh where he just basically said listen um I don't care about the future of money. Uh, I, I, again, I'm paraphrasing him. I, I don't want to misquote him, but it's along the lines of he's like, dude, that stuff I'm sure is important, but you know, I don't understand it. My focus is on game five, you know, uh, which is what he understands. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he, he seems to, you know, pick that uh, as his niche um, and he wants to get in all, all the kind of um, get into, get into the weeds. He's creating his own game. Um, and uh, you know, the, owning NFTs and buying property in games is, I think, another kind of way of playing this space. I certainly know of friends who are actually not that involved in um, DeFi because maybe to them it's just too many. And I, I'll, I'll admit to you, Jeff, it's become a little overwhelming. Yeah. Same stuff. Every, every I'm glad you, I'm like glad you said that because that's how I feel yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's overwhelming. And honestly, it's a little bit like, dude, um, what everyone, everything, I mean, it, it always says, well, here's why my app is special, right? But it really reads quite similar to everything else, right? Yeah. It's fully decentralized. It's cross-chain. Okay, I get it, right? Um, but then it's like, well, you know, it tries to optimize this and it tries to get you the best yield through, you know, um, you know uh, uh, minimizing the increment of, you know, maximizing the yield on stable coins. But they're all kinds of, they do more or less. All of them have that value proposition, right? And the APY comes from, you know, some sort of a subsidy from their kind of their native token. 
And so um, I, I do admit that it can be hard to distinguish between. Um, and, and sometimes you're just like the value added from generating more yield um, on, in, in, in this asset class. Yeah. I think it is, it is very difficult to find that. Um, but I also, so I think like the GameFi thing is definitely an attractive avenue. But to me, GameFi is essentially the same as DeFi, just with kind of a different skin painted on top of it, you know? Um, because at its core, like GameFi builds on a lot of the DeFi money Legos that have kind of been already established. Um, and to me, like the whole, what's attractive to DeFi to me is that the entire thing already feels like a game just without those fancy graphics, right? The mm -hmm. value proposition of judging, like you said, of finding these different protocols, reading out like the different subtle value props that they are adding to it. You know, they're just forking something, mm -hmm. but they're going to be changing one little thing and then making that kind of game decision of like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, invest in this thing versus that thing. But having the power to kind of evaluate for yourself, you know, um, that's mm. what that's the kind of game that is interesting to me, and that's what like DeFi feels like to me. Um, it just feels mm. like playing a game without the fancy graphics, kind of like with it stripped off, you know. Sure, sure. But I would add, of it. I would add that part of this gaming experience again is uh, where you can also buy NFTs, right? You can buy property. Um, in the game, land in the game, or I don't know, a particular um, structure in the game. And you can also, um, I guess, create NFTs in this game. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just sort of adding, it's just kind of, <laughs> it's kind of just creating, it's putting everything together. Like the three things you talked about, GameFi, DeFi, yeah. and uh, Metaverse, or but maybe there's like four, I don't know. So that's just all the themes that's like available right now in crypto, right? Whether it's metaverse, whether it's DeFi, whether it's NFTs, just kind of combine, combine them all together. Right. right. And, and that's, that's why like DeFi up. kingdoms is so successful. You know, they were one of the first fleshed out ones that has combined them all together. Um, mm -hmm. Even though they're still pretty basic compared to mm -hmm. like a traditional Xbox game or something. Um, mm -hmm. But in this space, yeah. they're very, they're very fleshed out compared to some of the competitors that just try to try to do what they're wanting to do. Mm, mm. You know, I just thinking like um, typical, a guy from, you know, typical traditional finance, you know, listens to us talk about this. Um, it, it, yeah, it definitely feels like, you know, maybe we're not, we're, I, I think we're still at that stage where, um, you know, crypto is trying to figure out, right? Like it's use case. Um, but at the same time, I think the implications are, are that it's it's going to be disruptive, but I think where it's going to be disruptive is still yeah it's still to be seen. Like I do think that in my mind uh, it will disrupt banks, it will disrupt the traditional kind of capital markets because as more money goes into I go back to that DeFi llama total value lock, as more money flows into this space, that means less money right yeah. in the physical world. Um, I do think that that will definitely um, decimate certain certain types of businesses certainly will um and I, I think you know i hear too many times people are like oh man my local bank giving me this you know this interest rate you know it really doesn't even give me that great service uh whereas here i can you know um i just everything is so much more efficiently run right. so i do think that's disruptive and i do think that as this universe hogs more of our time as we like certainly i've spent more time on this so i've certainly been less engaged in the physical world than i am if, <laughs> you know uh right so i'm gonna if i'm an example and then if you were to take other people as we just disengage or engage less i do think the space will expand so while right now there isn't the metrics like if you were a you know a banker because um, recently i had a conversation with someone who's you know trying to kind of get some of these uh, typical, you know, the investment banks to evaluate the value of his company. And uh, his company is involved mainly in, you know, kind of digital type of businesses. They're just like, oh, it's really hard to us, for us to audit, you know, your revenue. It's very hard for us because they just don't even have the IT system to really right. understand, yeah, or to separate where the stuff is coming from, you know, the money you're making, you know, from market making versus money you're making from staking, from the exchange fees, things like that. Just couldn't even separate it. So this just goes to show you, I think, you know, maybe it's not the typical metrics we can use, but I'm still guided, right?
I think both you and I, and I think certainly people in crypto, they're just guided by the sense. Things are, yeah, uh, things are going to be different. We are going to, yeah, we're, we're, sure. we're definitely noticing a shift. It's the same way that I feel like, I feel like the same way that like Airbnb and Uber, you know, and Facebook and Amazon started just disrupting their industries without asking permission from the government (laughs) because they worked in an industry that didn't really have the same kind of regulatory things that um, financial industries have. Um, But with the advent of crypto and the fact that it's decentralized and people can work on this from all over the world anonymously where regulations suddenly aren't the barrier to creating these financial mm. products anymore. Um, mm. That's why I feel like you've seen it just explode with not only like interesting projects and creative ways to like make yield, but just really like experimental and um, just, you know, unexpected projects too, just because there's no regulatory hurdles anymore for people to have um, when they want to come up with some sort of financial product. Good. Dude, I, I like the way you put it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, they didn't ask for permission from the regulators. <laughs> and uh, um, on some levels, like, and again, I'm not asking anybody to break rules out there, but sometimes it's like you almost have to push the boundaries. You have to push the envelope a right. little bit. Um, it's like we wouldn't, have had, we wouldn't have had yeah. like Airbnb or Uber um, if they had just waited around and asked like, you know, the hotel lobbyists and the <laughs> like taxi union what they thought about their proposals, right? Like they just made their yeah. thing. Um, and yeah. like financial yeah. products always kind of had that huge regulatory hurdle because the guy you had to ask permission was was like the SEC and they could really come down on you if you broke their rules. Um, but now like the jurisdiction of crypto is not restrained to like US or any one country. Um, people can work on these products from all over the world. And that just opens up so much more creative ideas and um you know, possible products that just couldn't exist previously. Uh, well, Jeff, um, it's like 3.30 a.m. my time now. Um, so maybe I should uh, actually sleep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm really glad we did this um, because, you know, I, one is just um, exciting stuff happening in this space. Uh, I know it's hard time difference for us to do this, but um, I just always learn so much. And it helps yeah, refocus it's always a fun time. Too. Yeah, it helps refocus our energies. Um, and as we talk to more people out there, um, I think we're you know, growing and evolving in our own thinking. And so, so Jeff, I mean, it's like we're taking different perspectives or views of the same kind of um, industry, but we can come up with different conclusions. Uh, or not different conclusions, but I think we can view it from different prisms. And yeah, uh, totally. I think that's... And then, we, and then we try to piece it together. And then we take it apart and then we try to piece it together again. And it's like... Fun times, Jeff. Yeah, totally. It's, it, I, I, that's part of why I love always talking to you, man. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's do it again soon. Um, yeah. We'll just call it a night now. All right, man. Good night, man. Take it right. easy. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Right.